You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I'm glad to be here. God bless you all. All my friends are jealous. They should, they should be. It's a great church. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, begin reading with verse 14. I have a bit of an obscure passage here I want to talk to you about. Because there's some important things in it. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. We'll read five or six verses. We'll read down through. Well, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is it all right if we study the Bible? Yeah, you know, I like to preach, but I really like to teach too. And uh, I, 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 on the receiving end of it, I like to receive preaching and teaching at the same time. And uh, so that's what I try to deliver to you. But sometimes it's just important just to read the scriptures, read them the way they, way they should lie together, you know. And uh, you, you learn a lot of things if you can keep things in context. Learn a lot of things you, miss, you misunderstand in, in other ways. Too much topical study will, will give you a misrepresentation of what the Bible is really about. Meaning if you're just running reference, you, you, you pick a subject, you know. You start and you run that verse over there in Genesis and that verse over there in Revelation and that verse in Psalm and that verse in Galatians. You can kind of make it say whatever you want it to say. If you're not careful. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's a terrible thing to be topical, but I'm saying if you do too much of that, you can get the wrong idea about the Bible and, mis and misunderstand. And that's because, uh, it's because some things are written to specifically to certain people. Yeah. Not everything in the Bible was written to you. I have to keep saying this over and over because I know some of you are still thinking, did he really say that? <laughs> yeah, you have to hear it. Not everything in the Bible was written directly to you. A lot of it was written for another time. A lot of it was written for different people. A lot of it was written, you know. I, I, I was raised under preachers, for the most part, who would just open the book of Jeremiah and just go to scolding us for being there. Oh, wow. <laughs> it says here, God is angry. Hello, didn't Jesus die? I mean, I, I, I was just wondering, this side, of heaven, this side of Calvary, I thought he'd already died for everything that Jeremiah was mad about. Is it just me? Am I just nine years old and don't understand? But how are you telling me God is mad at me, but Jesus died for my sins? I don't get it. Yeah. Did he die for my sins? Sort of. <laughs> Did he die for my sins except on Friday and Saturday nights <laughs> when I want to go party? What is it? You know? Did he really get over it or did he not? Yes. You know, I mean, it has to be one way or the other. It can't be both ways. Can be sometimes, sometimes redeemed, sometimes not. Sometimes grace, sometimes not. Huh? It, it has to be one way or the other. He's not the schizophrenic God. Some people think he just wakes up in a bad mood sometimes. I think I'm going to send a hurricane to New Orleans today. I think that's what I'm going to do. You know, he, he's, he's so fickle. He's so fickle. He's got PMS. Their God has PMS. He can't make up his mind if he's mad or happy. Huh? But if you're worshiping that God, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That's not God. That, that's some image of your mother-in-law you have right there. That's what that is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now. You know, we get weird ideas about, about a loving God whose nature is love. We get strange ideas about Him because we think every scripture is just alike and all of them apply to me. I'm sorry they don't. You need to hear the truth. They just don't. The Apostle Paul is clear about which ones don't. I got a good audience here because you, you've been through two pastors now, three, who, uh, who understood this. Two, I'll say, who really understood this and have been teaching you along the way. By the way, I, send, I bring greetings this morning from our former pastor, Curtis Coker, who said to tell everybody at the river we love them. And they sent a big report, sent two pages. I should have brought it, but I forgot it. 
reporting on all that's going on in Minnesota. We have a sister church in Minnesota, for those of you who may not know. This church is, the elders here went to great lengths to support uh, Curtis in Minnesota and help him get the church started he enjoy and we love them very much. How many of you know who they are? Let me see your hands. Okay, well, most of you do. All right, well, God bless you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, I write not these things, Paul says, to shame you to the Corinthians, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. The first thing I want you to notice today, the Apostle Paul says here, he says something profound that we often just read over. That no one is exempt from the need of a father. No one is exempt from the need of a father. Now we're not talking about a natural father, although you can't really get here very easily without a natural father. Not easy. Maybe, maybe there's some way, but you, you needed a natural father. Maybe there's some way I don't know about, but I was raised on a farm in Oklahoma. You had to have a bull with the cows. That's all there was to it. You just had to have a bull. You had to have the seed. But Paul's not talking about natural fathers here. He's talking about spiritual fathers. And, and he's not talking about that on the basis of some religious order with a backward collar. He's talking about his apostolic ministry. What it meant, what it meant to him as an apostle to have a relationship. I'm in that realm a lot, and I, I work with leaders constantly, and I, I I oversee pastors, twenty some odd of them now. I guess twenty three, I think, is the number, and about ten other ministries of varying degrees that I have a have a relationship with. I'm telling you now, and plus, you know, Miss Ann and I here, she's really pastoring the church, and I do what I can to help. And, uh, and, and I had that full-time job at CF&I, which, which is what took us to Florida. Uh, uh, I'm, my plate's full. My plate is full. I mean, if you've got one more thing for me to do, I, I'll try, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it well. I may halfway, you know, wink at it, but... I, my plate's full. Right. I, I, I don't want to rust out. I'm going to burn out. I'm going to go blow until till the rockets take me to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I don't mean burn out as in depressed. I mean just be used up for the gospel. But I hear stories about one that I hear people say, oh, Pastor John, you're, 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 you're in, apostolic, in, in apostolic leadership. I say, yeah. Well, you need to meet this brother, so-and-so. He's over a thousand churches. No, he's not. No, he's not. Yeah, he's an apostle over a thousand churches. No, he's not. Not if he's a real apostle. Not if he's really apostling them. He is not over a thousand churches. He talks to them once every three years. That's not apostling anybody. Everybody hear me? That's not fathering anybody. If your daddy showed up at your house once every three years, you'd find somebody else to be your daddy. True apostles, they have father's love, and they have to minimize what they do. That's why... We had Daryl Ellison here last week. He's an apostolic leader as well. And we have to have these loops of fellowship with smaller groups of these churches. You know what? We, we just gave up on all that. We just gave up on that and built our headquarters and called it done. And all got behind our denominational walls. I'm not talking about you because you're here. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We don't believe in that nonsense, that denominational nonsense just made up of men where everybody votes. Just silly, just silly. Not even, not even in the Bible. Oh, it was once in the Bible. They did vote one time before they got Holy Ghost filled. Before they were spirit filled, they voted once. Never heard from the guy again, so I don't know if he was the right choice or not. Right? Acts chapter 1, when they picked Matthias. Mm-hmm. You know how they voted? They, they drew lots. That's sort of like rolling dice. 
hey, we're having a business meeting today. We're going to pick a new pastor. Let's go down to the casino. And that's kind of how they did it. Kind of how they did it. That was before they got spirit-filled. After they got spirit-filled, they prayed. They prayed about it. They waited on the Holy Ghost to speak to them. Amen, amen, amen. But no one is exempt from the need of a father. The Apostle Paul said this over and over and over throughout these scriptures. Lots and lots of places. He talked about his fathering ministry, which is synonymous with apostleship. So it has to be limited. You can't be thousands upon thousands. Now there could be thousands who are impacted, impacted by the things you say, the things you write. I'm not saying that that, that, that there's not some need to have thousands of people hear one voice. I'm, I'm in. I think we're going to have that here pretty soon. Yeah. It feels like it. But no one is exempt from the need of a father. I was, I was in Houston, Texas in 1989. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I was there in Houston with my wife. We were celebrating John Osteen's 50th anniversary in ministry. Y'all yeah. remember John Osteen? He's Joel's daddy. Yeah. Joel is a sweetheart, good guy. You'll never get me to complain or gripe about Joel Osteen. I love him, love his family, love everything about him. Amen. But I don't listen to Joel very much because I heard his daddy. I love John Osteen's <laughs> preaching. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I, that John was a preaching machine. In fact, I was at a pastor's meeting after we'd been going down there for a number of years. They sent us special invitations. We would go and we'd watch him on TV and listen to his tapes and just love Brother Osteen. And all he stood for, love missions, a great apostolic leader himself. One day we were at a pastor's meeting and somebody said to me, all right, so, so, who's your favorite preacher? So we all went around the room talking about who our influences were. And this one lady said, well, my husband's my favorite preacher. Looked up at him all darling-like. My husband's my favorite preacher. Everybody kind of said, oh, how cute. <laughs> so after the meeting, we get in the car and we're driving away. And I said, uh, honey, am I your favorite preacher? And she said, without him looking at me, looking straight ahead, next to John Osteen. A couple of years later, he passed away, and she thought I had something to do with it. <laughs> she thought I had something to do with it. That is awesome. But we were there in Houston in 1989, the spring. And every spiritual dignitary that I had ever recognized before in my life was there. Everybody from all the streams of of the spirit-filled world, and some from the, from the nominal world were there. Probably 10,000 people, standing room only, and very little of that. People just standing everywhere. And the, and the building seated 8,600 people, I think, at the time. We were just awed by the whole event. They had television cameras. It was being broadcast live on a local Houston NBC station, I think it was, one of the local channels. It was a big deal. One of the... Uh, State senators, or I think it's a U.S. congressman at the time, was there from Houston. It was a big deal. Ben Kinslow was the moderator. We had it big. Miss Ann and I were there. Thackerville had made the big time, man. We were there. We thought we, thought we were doing something big. You know, along with 10,000 other people. And in the middle of the program, they had, the lights came on out in the audience. And way around over there, we saw this little man jump up. No, no, no. They got a microphone pinned on him. No, no, no. That's not how it happened. They're telling the story of John Osteen, how he became a spirit-filled as a Baptist preacher, started speaking in tongues. And then he, uh, this, this guy interrupted. But we knew it was all staged because it had cameras and lights on him. And now I had been making a list of all these dignitaries I'd seen. I still have that Bible that has all his names in the back of it. 
had written them all out. It must have been 40 names. Really, really impressive people. K.P. Johannan was there. The guy who made the Jesus film. He was there. Uh, world famous, K.P. Johannan. Uh, uh, R.W. Schambach was there. Uh, Charles Capps was there. Norval Hayes was there. These are all names that created my life. I mean, just on and on. And I just made a huge list. Brother Hagen was there. Everybody was there. I was writing a list down. And this guy over in the audience stands up and he starts shouting out how he thought it all happened. He said, no, you was a Baptist just like me. And what you did is you got, to stick, you got down on that wet river, that, 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 that muddy riverbank by them, by them charismatics and, and slipped off and fell in. That's what happened to you, John Osteen. Got to run him with the Pentecostals, he said. He was making fun of him, having a great time. Of course, Jimmy just did it just to be funny, you know. And uh, I said to my wife, I said, do you see all these famous people right here, honey? She said, yeah. I said, if I could have one, because I know who Jim Hester was. I said, if I could have any one of these people come to our church in West Texas where we were at the time, I said, of all these, I'd pick Jim Hester if I had a chance to come to our church. She said, really? <laughs> I'll never forget that. Really? I said, yeah, yeah. Well, why? I said, I don't know. I just love him. I just always loved him. Never got to meet him or anything. But I'd love that. The meeting ended. It was a three-hour-long event. It ended, and we started walking out. You know you know how it is in a big crowd like that? You've got to squeeze through the doors. It took 10 or 15 minutes for us to get out. We're just taking the step that's in front of us, you know, just, just taking the step that's in front of us. That's all we're doing, just trying to move toward the door. And we get to the door, and guess who is right in front of us as we walk out the door? James E. and jo Joanne Hester right there. I looked at Ann. She said, do you see who that is? And he, he was like a, a superstar to me, you know. I said, he'd been on TV all the time. I said, I said uh, yeah, yeah, it's Jim Hester. She said, well, talk to him. I said, honey, I, I, what do you say to a man like this? She said, she started punching me. Talk to him. Don't let him get away. You, you said it. God's doing something. I said, you think? Yeah, yeah, well, anyway. So I followed him out. And I, I kind of ran around in front of him. I said, Brother Hester, I, I'm John Holler. I'm from West Texas. Where are you from in West Texas, boy? Oh, San Angelo. Oh, I preach in San Angelo. I hear, you know, so-and-so. So. He, he just knows everybody. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I do know him. I said, could I go get your, 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 your car? He said, well, it's raining, boy. Are you going to get soaking wet? I said, I'd rather get wet than have you get wet. He said, well, sure. <laughs> Hands me his keys, and I just run off out across there. To the, you know, found, found his car and brought it up there to him, valeted it for him. Because yeah. I wanted him to remember me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care if he remembered me as a crazy kid that ran out through the rain. I just wanted him to remember me. Remember me any way you can. Just don't forget me. Exactly. And at the end of it all, I said, I said, Brother Hester, would you mind, would you consider coming to preach at my church? He said, well, sure, I'll come just to talk to Squirrel here. And Squirrel was his wife, Joanne. I said, squirrel, okay. So she said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you my phone number, and you call me in a few days, and we'll, we'll talk and set up a time. That was in the spring, April, I think it was. Summer went by, and July the 25th, that same year, my pastor in Love County died. The man that had been my pastor forever. The man that named me, you heard the story. He walked into that bedroom on the day I was born, and lifted his hand and said, Thou shalt call his name John, and then my mother agreed. What are you going to do? The prophet walks in. His name is John. That man passed away. Jim Hester shows up at my church in September, which we had scheduled. And he starts pastoring me. He just starts talking to me like he knows me. doesn't know me from Adam. He just starts talking to me. He says, John, I want to meet you at the, meet you at the restaurant. So we went to the restaurant. We started talking. He just started telling me, I see, you see, he was close personal friends with John Osteen. That's why he was there. But he was in San Angelo now, and he's reading me the riot act, telling me, you need to change this about your church. You need to do this and this and this. Gave me about four things that I needed to change and change now. He said, and I started crying, weeping. He said, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I think you've got a good church, got a good ministry. You seem, you seem like you've got a good heart. He said, but I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to help you because these are the things John Osteen told me to do and it helped me. I'm telling you to do these things too because you really need. I said, you're not hurting my feelings at all. He said, why are you crying? I said, 
because you're pastoring me. I said, I had anybody, hadn't had anybody pastor me in years, brother. I've been out here doing this work, not having an older man like you speak to me. And by the way, this summer my pastor just died, the one who had been pastoring me from, from my youth up. He said, well, I'm sorry to hear it, but I'm glad to be able to help you. And I said, Pastor Jim, would you consider being my pastor? And he said, well, <laughs> I guess. Started rubbing his thumb on the table like a little kid. I guess, I mean, if you think I could help you, you know, I said, you're helping me already. I just, want to, I just need to say that I've got a pastor, somebody that gives oversight to me, an apostolic kind of leader. He said, sure, John, whatever you say. I've never been without. You know what I found out? 10 and 15 years later, I was going through some old, some old papers on my pastor in Oklahoma, uh, in Love County, on his funeral and read there that he had died on July the 25th. <coughs> I didn't remember that date when I met Jim Hester, but I, I found it about 15 years later. By then I knew that was Jim Hester's birthday. Wow. Lord, did you really set all that up? Did you really set all that up from my pastor to pass away on July the 25th the birthday of my new pastor? Did you really set all that up so that I would have a story to tell God's people that nobody's exempt from the need of a father in the faith? If holler needs one, you need one. Amen. I'm not trying to get, you, get that to be me. I'm just saying we all need this familial thing in our lives. And without it, the church is choking to death. That's why Paul talked like he did. Listen to this. Verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Be ye followers of me. Do you know Peter never said follow me? Do you know that John never said follow me? Even the beloved disciple John who put his head on Jesus' chest never said follow me. James never said follow me. James the Lord's brother never said follow me. Jude never said follow me. None of them ever said, follow me. The only two people in the New Testament ever said, follow me, was Jesus and Paul. I wonder why. Because these are the powerhouse gospels that are presented. Listen, there's one gospel in a sense that it's all about Jesus. The gospel of Christ is all about Jesus. But the way it's presented to a Jew is that through the gospel of the kingdom. Through the gospel of the kingdom. The way it's presented to a Gentile is through the gospel of the grace of God. Hallelujah. I don't know any Gentiles in the house today that are happy about the grace of God. The Jew heard kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. The Gentile heard grace, grace, grace. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I love, I love that part. Now, 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 grace didn't mean sin, sin, sin all you want to. That's just not what they were preaching. They were preaching grace, grace, grace is a way to be empowered to live above it all. Yes. Grace, grace, grace is a way for God to strengthen your heart to the place where you know who you are in Christ. And when you know who you are in Christ by virtue of not your performance, but His performance, and your faith is attached and at work in that, when your faith is fully at work, that means holiness will follow. Right living will follow, praise God. But the church has barked about holiness so much, they forget to teach the people that righteousness must be a prerequisite to holiness. Because any holiness without righteousness, listen, any holiness that is the fruit of your life that you're giving to God, holiness is the fruit of your life you give to God, that is nothing, it is nothing, it's filthy rags unless God has already given you His own righteousness by virtue of what Jesus did for you at the cross and in the resurrection. The gospel says Christ died for our sins. Without a certain knowledge that Christ has died for your sins, you're not saved. Unless you have received this personally and believed it in your heart that Christ died for your sins, if you, unless that hap has happened to you, you're still in your sins. <coughs> we all have sins to deal with, but it's not, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is that Adam sinned and we were born of that seed. You say, well, I lived a pretty good life. Yeah, pretty good life. Take it straight to hell. Yes, it will. <laughs> Without Jesus, everybody's going to hell. 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not casting any stones here. I'm not trying to send anybody to hell because I don't have that kind of power. But I just, I, we, we, there's this warning that goes out. Everybody who tries to be right with God under their own power and, and, and by their own holiness, you understand, and skip the divine revelation of the grace of God imputed by, by faith. The moment you believe, hallelujah, the moment you use your faith and believe God, that's when righteousness comes to you. The moment you believe. I mean, it's, it's almost like, listen to me, it's almost like if you use your faith for almost anything about Jesus. Yeah. Like, like this. This is why healing is so powerful. That's why the power manifestations of the Spirit are so powerful to bring people into the realm of faith. You remember the guy, the four guys that had the sick friend, they had him on this beer, it's called, a, a, a stretcher, a cot. And they can't get him into Jesus, so they tear up the roof, and they let him down through the hole in the roof. You got it? You remember the story? Uh -huh. Then down through the hole in the roof. And Jesus is teaching. It'd be just like if I was standing right here teaching, and a guy just started kind of coming down through a... <laughs> what are you doing here, buddy? <laughs> Interrupted my message. <laughs> he just drops down there, and Jesus looks at him, and it says the most astonishing thing. It says, when he saw their faith. Did he see the guy's faith or their faith? He saw their faith. It says it in every, every, every single uh, account of that story. It says he saw their faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the sick of, Paul, sick of the palsy, Son, your sins are forgiven you. I can just see the guys at the, up in, looking through the hole. Hey, Jesus! <laughs> We didn't bring him because he was sinful. In fact, he never does anything wrong. In fact, look at him, he never does anything. <laughs> How's he going to sin in a condition like that? Jesus, you, you missed the whole point here. I mean, we believe in you, but you missed the whole point. Saying he's forgetting. Can't you tell he's sick? That, we brought him to recover. Right? Did they bring him to get him forgiven or healed? They brought him to get him healed. Apparently he was a pretty good dude. Had all these friends that loved him. Dropped him down. And Jesus said, hear me. Jesus is looking for any opportunity to apply faith to forgiveness. He is not going to let your relatives die and go to hell if you're standing in faith claiming them. He is not going to let those that he promised he would save on the basis of your faith, he's not going to let them go to hell. I want to encourage you today, praise be to God. Your faith is at work for somebody else and God's looking for any reason to forgive them. He's looking for any reason to forgive them, apparently. He's looking for any reason to forgive, forgive. He just forgave this guy. And you know what the Pharisees said? Same thing that all religious people still say. Bah, humbug. <laughs> Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but to the dread of something after death? The undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Pardon me, Shakespeare. <laughs> I've had somebody who has gone there and come back. I know what's out there, praise God. He's gone out there and come back. And with that authority, he has the right to forgive sins, you pharisaical pagan. I had the other word in my mind, but I stopped it. The B word. Nothos. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nothos. I do a teaching on legalistic bastards. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the, I'm not cussing. I'm just, it's in the Bible. I did this whole teaching and Israel tweeted, I've never heard the word bastard so many times in one church service. Thanks. Everybody's going to think Holler's losing his mind. 
It was a good sermon. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Don't tell my mama I did it, though. <laughs> they lost their minds over him forgiving. Most of the religious world still does to this day because they don't understand that God is not trying to keep people out of heaven. He's looking for any moment of faith to let people in. Amen. Looking for any moment of faith to let people in because Jesus already paid the price. He already paid the price. It's as though any level of faith on your part and your relative's part, God's looking to try to get them into glory. Amen. Well, I, I've heard it through the years. You know, the older crowd would, not, I'm not talking about the old people, the old religious crowd. Somebody would go forward, you know, kid that they knew was on drugs and running, running wild. and He'd come forward in a church service and fall down on his knees and pray. And some, somebody would come up there and pray with him. And lead him to Jesus. Can he get him to confess the Lord, you know, and turn from his sins? And he'd get up feeling so much better. Feeling so much better knowing that it was forgiven. And he's got a new start. He goes back to his seat. He's crying. And people are hugging him. There's three or four of them over there, though, in a, in a, little, in a little group saying, well, we, we'll see if it sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody ought to stick you, you idiot. Well, I hope it holds. I... Amen. <laughs> Paul's gospel is essential in following Christ. He said, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. He didn't say, Just follow me around. When he's talking about following him, he's talking about follow my instructions. Follow my instructions. And there is a dearth for Pauline doctrine. In the, in the body of Christ today. And here's why. You ready for why? Because they all believe that everything Jesus said was to them. And because it's in red in the book, they say in their minds, this, this supersedes everything. This is more important than even everything Paul said. This is how the church interprets the Bible. I heard a guy with a master's degree from Oral Roberts University standing in my pulpit one time and say that very thing. Where Paul and Jesus contradict, well, you have to take Jesus' words over that. Are you saying that Paul's words aren't Jesus' words? He, he, he dangled you over hell for saying that in Galatians chapter 1. Are you saying that what Paul said might not be Jesus' words and he might contradict Jesus? What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong is there's a lack of recognition in much of the Gentile church that God still has a message for the Jew. That God still has a message for Israel. And if that message is not for you, if it contradicts Paul's doctrine, who's that message for? It's for Israel. It can't be any other thing. We can't find Paul contradicting Jesus. Are you kidding me? The greatest Christian that ever lived, somebody told me, well, you know, Paul prayed three times to be healed and the Lord wouldn't heal him. Where'd you, sign, where'd you see that the Lord wouldn't heal him? Where'd you ever get that in the Bible? Well, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I asked the guy, I said, okay, now let me, let me ask you a question. Let's slow this down real slow. Yeah. So the guy prayed three times. And by the way, the world's greatest Christian, the greatest Christian that ever lived, kept praying three times for something. Are you telling me that the apostle, the greatest Christian that ever lived, didn't know whether it was God's will for him to be healed or not? You got to think about these things. The greatest Christian that ever lived didn't know whether or not it was God's will for him to be healed. <sighs> of course he knew it was God. That's why he kept praying it over and over. It hadn't happened. It hadn't happened. And who knows? Let me say something to you about that. I don't like to pray over and over about the same thing. Yeah. But let me, let me slow you down here just for a moment. I don't, I don't like to have to do it. But if I pray for something and it doesn't happen in the time I need it to, well, I go to work on my faith. Yeah. I might pray again later, but I'm going to work on my faith to grow, that thing, grow my faith a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to get some tapes. I'm going to go to two churches. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to double my input. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do something to get more faith in me because the faith comes by hearing the word. It just comes one way. It does not come a myriad of ways. It doesn't even come by praying about it. 
It comes one way by hearing the Word. You hear the promises and your faith grows. And then if you pray again, I said, now some will teach against that, but I'm not really opposed to that. Paul did pray more than once about the same thing. And I think probably between those times he was working on his faith. There's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is, there's nothing in the Bible that, that says he was even sick. Right. A thorn in the flesh doesn't say it's, it isn't defined as a sickness. Right. In fact, thorn in the flesh is persecution. Yes. Right. Two times in the Old Testament, it's people persecuting Israel when they use that kind of language. Thorn in the side, thorn in the eyes. It was other, it was other people persecuting them, oppressing them. Is there any chance that Paul, who was persecuted and oppressed every day, might have been talking about something like that? Yeah. Is there any chance he might? Of course he was talking about something like that. And besides all that, y'all have heard me do this before. Besides all that, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And they say, see, he didn't get what he wanted. God just graced him instead. So, so you being saved from hell by grace means you're going there anyway, but you're just going to be happy about it. <laughs> Does anybody believe that? Does anybody in the world believe I'm saved by grace, but I'm going to hell anyway, uh, but I'm going to be happy about it? Does anybody believe that's Christianity? What does saved by grace mean? When, when you get grace, what does that mean? That you're delivered from what you prayed about. You get the grace of God that delivers you from sinfulness. It delivers you from the devil. It delivers you from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and hell. Great. Being saved by grace means you're saved. Hallelujah. So when Jesus told Paul, I'm giving you grace, he didn't say I'm giving you grace instead. That's not in the text. You have to add that. And you have, to, you have to give grace a meaning that you wouldn't give it anyplace else. I'm giving you grace, but not what you asked for. Oh, gee, thanks. I'm giving you grace, but not what you asked for. That's not the definition of grace. Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, I don't care where you are today, what you're dealing with. You know, there's grace for you. There's grace for you wherever you are. With your family members, with your health, whatever it is. There's grace for you. Praise God. Let's tap into the grace of God today and receive this from, from the Lord. I was... Uh, Thinking about this following Paul's gospel. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Wow. Follow me. How are we going to follow him? We're going to follow him by what he taught us. I am unashamedly born in Oklahoma, raised in Oklahoma. Okay? Don't, 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 get, don't get crosswise on me now. But I am unashamedly a Dallas Cowboy fan. Amen. Amen. I love. I don't care who you like. I don't care. I don't even want to talk about it. We we won five Super Bowls. We've been there eight times. If you want to talk about history, we've got just about as good a history as anybody. We've had some of the greatest superstars that ever played the game. I know you've got a great team you love. So what? I don't care. <laughs> I'm a Cowboy fan, start to finish. Always will be. Okay. But I've got to tell you this. I've got to tell you this. Not everybody that I love is. And when the Cowboys lose, even when they get ripped off like they did the other day, <sighs> they let me know, my friends let me know, that they don't like the Cowboys. But then I tell stories like this one. We have statistically, statistically, everybody say statistically, you didn't say it right. Stati no, anyway, it's hard to say. We have statistically the best running back that ever played the game. I know that he wasn't. I know Barry Sanders was much better than him. I know that sweetness from Chicago, Walter Payton, was much better than him. I know I could name five or seven of them. Jim Brown, that were better than Emmett Smith. I know he did not have what they had. But statistically, he's the best that ever played the game. 
right yards and wins and, court and uh, touchdowns and all. He's just remarkable. I've wondered about it. Somebody said, well, they had the best offensive line. Well, yeah, but a lot of teams have had great offensive lines. I think it's something more. I think it's something supernatural. I told you I love the Cowboys. Have a hole in the roof so God can watch his team play, you know. <laughs> sometimes I need to close it. Sometimes probably Miss Ann said, but... <laughs> I see Emmett there. I've been in Texas Stadium many times before they built the new one. And, 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 and I love sitting there. And my favorite thing to do is just read those names in a ring of honor. I just kept reading the names. I go back and I pinch myself. Am I, am I really here? Oh, seen it, seen it a thousand times on television. And to be there and look at those names around that ring of honor. Oh, Bob Lilly. Was there ever a football player like Bob Lilly? Just... I would read those names and Don Perkins and Don Meredith and all these old timers and Chuck Howley's up there and, and on and on and on. And I think I was there on the night, the, the night, by the way, when they installed the triplets, all three of them at one time. You know who that is? Aikman, Irvin, Smith. They put them all three on the, on the ring of honor at one time. I was there. It was exciting. Wow. I'm going somewhere with this. I preach the Bible, not the Cowboys, okay? <laughs> Hold still. I look up there at all those names, and I think Emmett must have seen those names too. And Emmett's down there. It's goal to goal. It's first and goal or fourth and goal. It didn't matter, but you know, just 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 a yard from the goal line. And Troy starts that count. Down, hit, hit, hit. And I think while that's going on, Emmett's back there because everybody on the defense knew who was getting the ball. The cheerleaders even knew who was getting the ball. Everybody in the stands knew who was getting the ball, and everybody watching on TV knew who was going to get the ball. But knowing who was getting the ball and doing something about it were two different things. Emmett knew he was getting the ball in that situation. Now I just thought maybe once in a while... We might find the answer to who he was and how he did what he did in this thought. I imagine that he cast his eyes up there briefly to look around that ring of honor himself. All those names, even Randy White is in there, all those other names I named. And he comes down there, Bullet Bob Hayes is there now, one of my favorite players. Tom Landry's there. And then there's a name. Tony Dorsett, who ran the longest touchdown from scrimmage in the history of the game while he was playing. And running backs running back. Tony Dorsett. And you know what must have crossed Emmett's mind? What he was, I now am. That name on high has set a standard for how I live down here. Glory to God. Come on, somebody say amen. You get it? What he was, I now am, glory to God. Jesus seated on high in his own ring of honor. There's just one name there, though. Hallelujah. Easy to find. Name above all names, King of kings, Lord of lords. You lift your eyes upon heaven, and when you worship him, he's not just saying, worship me. He's saying, remember who you are when you worship. Get your eyes full of what a man can be like in the earth, praise God. And I gave you a good example of an ordinary man to live by, one that wasn't God in the flesh. I told you Gentiles, follow him. Follow him. The Jews had Jesus to follow. You have Jesus to follow too. But you don't follow Jesus as much as he follows you. Isn't he in you? Does he go where you go? How many of you honestly know that everywhere you go is the will of God? Mm-hmm. Some of you, four of you do. But how many of you know that if you go someplace that's not His will, He's, not, he's, he's, he's still going with you? Yes. 
He's not going to check out. Nope. Because the blessing isn't on where you are. Uh, the blessing is on who you are. Abraham stood with his, with his nephew Lot. Lot, you pick. The land's too small for us. You pick. Where do you, where you want to go? You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. You, but you pick. Abraham, have you lost your mind? He's going to pick the best pastures. You pick, Lot. It doesn't matter. Well, Uncle Abe, why are you so sure? Because I know the blessing is not on where I am. The blessing goes where I go. Glory to God. You give me the worst rocky place there is, my sheep will get fatter than yours. Hallelujah. Because I'm blessed. I'm blessed in my coming in. I'm blessed in my going out. Everything my hand touches prospers. Everywhere the sole of my feet shall tread shall be mine. Glory be to God. I live in the promises of Abraham. Hallelujah. I follow. I follow an apostle named Paul. I learned through his ministry that the blessing was on me. Not on how well I perform. My performance has changed because of that though. I raised my kids on this stuff. I did. I raised my kids on the message of grace. I never once ever told my kids, you keep that up, you're going to hell. I never ever said that to my kids. You keep that up, you're going to hell. I, I, never, I just wouldn't say that because I didn't believe that. All of them serving the Lord with their whole heart in full-time ministry, all of them just, I didn't call a one of them. I tried to get them not to do it. Miss Annie had, had a little discussion with them. When it, when it, it was getting that age, they were saying, well, we're kind of feeling like maybe we ought to go to work at the church and she said, if you can do anything else, go do it. <laughs> if you can do anything else and be happy, go do it. So they did for a little while. They come back, oh, I'm called in the ministry. I gotta. All right, all right. Okay. We, just, we just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Just want to make sure because we didn't want a mom and daddy called. Y'all wow. have seen that, hadn't you? That's good. It's, not, it's not a pretty sight. But all of them living for God because we raised them on grace and faith. Raised them on grace and faith. Raised them on grace and faith. They were secure. And they live holy lives without me harping on holiness all the time. They just do. They live holy lives. They live like they're supposed to. Let me say to you, the moment you get the image in your heart and in your mind of who Christ is in you and who you are in Him, all those fabricated things, those habits that you that get a hold of, they'll all just drop off. They'll all just drop off. You'll follow Jesus so, so, so effortlessly that your life will be an example of what a Christian life is supposed to be. And there'll be people saying, I don't really know how to do this, but I'm following that guy. I watched how he lived his life and I want to be like him. You follow Paul in identity training, Identity training, number one. The number one point in, identity, in discipleship is identity training. Identity training. Not, not, not how you perform, but knowing who you are. Every Christian needs identity training because we're so identified with being Irish. Well, you know how I'm American Indians. That's just the way we are. Really? really what a cop out. Well, that was just my, my hot Irish temper. Now, I married a German woman, and there is something to that, but everybody else. <laughs> held, up a, uh, held up a steak knife. I was making fun of her one time. Held up a steak, steak knife on the table and said, you do have to sleep sometime. Licked her lips. Sorry, Miss Ann. I mean, Gabo. Verse 17, for this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of all my ways which, he, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now listen to this. Paul's doctrine is supposed to be taught as the primary teaching of every church. Paul's doctrine is supposed to be the primary. So let me instruct you one more time. Some of you heard me talk about these things, but I'm going to instruct you one more time. Next week, is it next week? Next time I'm here, if that's next week, I'm, we're, going to t we're going to walk through Galatians chapter 2. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be a follow-up to this. We're going to walk you through Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. It ends with this powerful verse, I do not frustrate the grace of God. 
For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ died for nothing. And by the law, he means by how you perform. The law is the apex of performance. Meaning any law, you know what transcendent truth is and what, what it just means uh, there's transitive truth, I should say. If A is greater than B and B is greater than C, is A greater than C? Yes. If A is greater than B and B is greater than C, then A is automatically greater than C. It's transitive. Okay? This is what, this is what we mean. First, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, meaning that the law is the apex of all performance. Because it wasn't the law of Moses, it was the law of God. So the law of God is the, is the epitome of performance. And he said, if, if, the, if righteousness does not come by the performance, by keeping God's law, then you can't possibly create one that would make you righteous. But every church creates their own. Well, brother, no, you won't go to hell for smoking, but you smell like you've been there. <laughs> well, this is one of your laws. Make it all about dumb things that they just make up sins. They just make up stuff that are sins. You can't find one shred of it in the Scriptures. I'm not suggesting you go out and start smoking. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying it's bad for you. I'm saying churches just make up their own laws, their own rules, as though they're higher than the law of God and it won't make you righteous. Are you kidding me? Okay, you see where we're coming from. Don't miss Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. We're going to walk through it next week if we can get through it at all. <laughs> it's, really, it's really quite thick. But there's powerful things in there that, 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 that uh, are attached to what we've talked about today. Father, thank you for the time we've had here today. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for Paul's doctrine that you showed him to show us. Thank you for this message of the grace of God, which teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live before you holy, unblameable in your sight. We thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you, Lord, for this primary teaching of every church. The Apostle Paul said he taught it in every church. We're asking, Lord, that you'll help us to embrace it in a more dynamic and powerful way. Thank you, Lord, that what you are, what you were, you, we now are. As you walk the earth, we are now your representatives with an example like you, Jesus, and an example like the Apostle Paul. We have everything at our disposal to win in life. Thank you, Father, for our loved ones who are coming in. We say, why don't you say their names right now? Why don't you just use your, your own voice and say their names, those that you want to come in. You have some friends you're thinking about, some family members you're thinking about. Just say their names out loud right now. Just say their names. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for Tony and his family, my nephews and various various and sundry ones and their families. In Jesus' name, coming in. I just thank you for all these, these family members coming in. You, you made us a promise that if we would believe, we'd use our faith, that you'd dispense forgiveness to them. Glory be to God. So we, we call them in in Jesus' name. Call them to receive their reconciliation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.